Welcome to the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire you to make the most of your journey in health and performance. Each episode will provide an in-depth discussion on a specific topic related to human performance. If you're a growth-minded individual seeking knowledge and better solutions, this podcast is for you. We're glad you're listening in and we're excited to learn alongside you. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Todd Tukin, in welcoming the amazing Montel Douglas. Montel is the first female British athlete to compete in both the Summer and Winter Olympics. In 2008, she broke the women's 100-meter record, becoming the fastest woman ever in Great Britain. On today's episode, Montel reflects on her South London childhood experiences and shares candid thoughts on her journey to becoming a two-time Olympic athlete, a trailblazer for women in sports, and a mentor and coach to young athletes. You can follow Montel on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monty Trackstar and on TikTok at Montel Douglas. She was an absolute joy to talk to, and we are glad we were able to connect at the Leaders in Sports Summit in London. As a heads up, there are a few sections where we experience some audio breakdown, but hope you still find this episode to be a fantastic listen. Enjoy. Welcome, Montel. It's great to be here with you today from the other side of the pond. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you for asking. And um, first, I'd like to recognize what an honor it is to have you on our podcast today. The first British woman to compete in both the Summer and Winter Olympics. When you hear someone say that, how does that make you feel? Gosh, I'm still getting used to that. <laughs> Actually, um, it makes me feel really proud, I think, first and foremost. And also, it's a bit of a, um, it's very humbling, actually, because it does cover a lot of what I'm really passionate about. I'm, I'm passionate about women, um, young women and females in sport um, and leadership and just kind of leading from the front, but trying to break boundaries and break those barriers down. And I think um, taking on that challenge, it, it was big, but I'm, I'm proud that I was a part of that journey that I set for myself, but also just what it can mean now for, for future moving forward and for those that came come afterwards. Absolutely. And we actually saw that you were a finalist for a Women's Sport Award for Trailblazers of the Year in 2022. Can you describe what that's been like to have the opportunity not just to represent yourself and your family or Great Britain, but also women all over the world? Yeah, you know, having that nomination, um, it was it was it was almost just as good as um as as achieving what I achieved. Um, just because it's you know you always want recognition but I think it's more about having exposure and people do a lot of great things in the world all the time like we all do in everyday life and it doesn't always get recognized which then means that people just don't know about it that's kind of the point of why we're doing it right so it was just nice to have that kind of the, the forefront recognition to say that you you know setting like the trailblazer as a as a title in itself for me I was like oh wow that's yeah that's I was just kept on thinking oh that's me um, at the same time but at the same time I do always think well why is it why is it just me and why and there are amazing other trailblazers that were in the category and um, to be able to to be a part of that reward and that recognition amongst the whole but it also shines a light on many of our sports that don't get a lot of recognition as well so coming from a track background which is like the number one summer sport to then 
winter bobsled, which is arguably the number one winter sport, I'd say, but it's just a completely different um, field. It's just like, it was an amazing experience to commitments both. But for me to kind of say, okay, well, I'm the first woman to do that. And there were a lot of men that did it beforehand. Um, we've still got work to do from my point of view, you know, from, from the women's side, we're, we're still quite far behind because of the access and because of the time frame. Um, it's just been a, a really powerful full journey. And I think it it's nice that it can be spread worldwide. And even though it's a British thing for me, it still can maybe have an impact elsewhere. No doubt. Well, trailblazer indeed. And obviously you put a lot of hard work in for that recognition, as well as your athletic achievements. Your achievements are amazing. And we're excited to talk about both of your Olympic experiences. But before we do, can you provide us some background on who Montel Douglas is? Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Sure. Yeah. So as you guys can tell, I'm not sure about the audience. Um, I'm not from your side of the water at all. Um, I'm from South London. So any Londoner you'll know in the UK, specific areas are very important to mention because we are all very different. And um, I live in North London now, but I'm a South London at heart. And we call it the Dirty South. So I don't know if you guys, you guys have that in the UCBUL. The Dirty South is like the rough and tumble of, of the London world. Um, and I grew up in, from like really young, young parents, to be honest. My parents were really young when they had me. We're very, very much working class. They didn't go to further education. So I was, I was raised by almost teenage parents. And the opportunities that kind of were, the one thing they gave me, especially growing up, was the, I guess, the freedom to choose and the freedom to do as I felt. I never really felt pressured into doing sport, although my my mum was my netball coach. <laughs> um, in primary school and we first learned in like year five which is probably grade I think fifth grade for you guys fourth grade for you guys I was about 10 11 um I learned netball and um we lost like 17 nil in the first match ever um but my mum was a part of that experience coming into my school and being the kind of coach and someone who just was a mum who loved sport who wanted to kind of help the girls team my dad was my first football coach so I played soccer as you guys would say um, in my early years, soccer was my first sport. At 10 years old, I was on an all-boy football team. Um, I was centre forward, so I was the striker, the goal scorer of the team. And I played all the way through actually to high school. I was on the boys' football team in high school as well, um, all the way through. And my friend reminded me the other day from school, I haven't seen him in, gosh, it was almost 20 years, <laughs> literally. And I saw him at my friend's wedding, because this is my cousin's wedding. And he said to me, look, he said, I still can remember the, this day like the, the like we were like year 10 11 so we're 16 17 so maybe I don't know you guys freshman sophomore see I was probably I think a senior leaving school and he said I he was like you scored the winning goal of the season and everyone went nuts <laughs> he was like I still remember to this day and I was like I played football in school I was like I don't remember that and like I thought I'd stopped my sporting journey in football a long time before then because I was by then I was a national junior champion um, in Great Britain for the 100 and 200. So I was very much focused on athletics, but I just loved doing sport. I, I was the second oldest of about 25, 30 grandchildren. And I was the only girl for a very long time. So I was wow. very tomboyish, played football, played sport. But in the generation that I grew up, I was born, I was raised in the eighties, nineties. So we played outside, like digital age came way after. So I was climbing trees. I was doing skateboarding. I had a Bart Simpson skateboard. I was rollerblade skating every Sunday. Like I did a lot of activity and I think it, I just really liked to be outside, which is still kind of what I like to do now. Um, and I just kind of went on from there and that's my sporting journey just carried on through, but I never envisioned being an athlete. 
And I know now it's definitely because I never saw any athletes, especially female athletes that were performing at that high level. They were also doing it as a career. It just wasn't in my, my remit. In my mind at 16, 17, we, you know, we went to work and that was it. Um, it just so happened that my first ever trip on a plane was me representing my country at 16, going as a junior international. And I was like, wow. well, this is pretty cool. I got paid to be on a plane. I could keep doing this and I can travel the world for free. So I just kind of just zoned in. Like, I really want to do this. I want to see the world. I want to get out of South London. Um, and that's where it really, I guess, took off for me. Where did you get to travel to? Where was your first stop? So my first stop was somewhere, where was it? I think it was somewhere in, in Europe. It was like Italy. But it was it was um, Italy versus Russia versus GB versus USA. It was like a really it was like an inter country meet, which they don't really have that much anymore. Um, but as a junior age group, so it was all under 18s, and we were just seeing. I was seeing you know you guys from from our country. I was just like, oh my gosh, there's other people that are like me, but they're completely different because I was so closed off to the world. Like we never went on holiday. I didn't really know the outside world. Um, but getting a taste of that and competing at that level was a big, big eye-opener for me. Absolutely. So what I hear from you is, number one, your parents were very involved at a young age in terms of being involved with coaching, and that was a really positive experience for you. A diverse number of experiences, right? You talk about skateboarding, different netball, football, a lot of different experiences. And then being a trailblazer for you was nothing new now. You started yeah. when you were 15, 16, 17 on the boys' football team. Yeah, you know, scoring, scoring game winning goals. I know it's so weird because it's happened <laughs> a lot in my life. I didn't realize I was like, oh, yeah, I was on the boys soccer team, like football team. And then I was on the boys um, in year nine. So for you guys, maybe that's 10th grade. Like you're, I was 14, no, I was 15, 14, 15, um, our third year in high school, secondary school. And um, we tried to try out for the girls' basketball team, but apparently you need more than at least five people to do that. And there was only me and my best friend Samantha who turned up so my teacher was like why don't you try it for the boys team and I'm like okay so we tried out and we were on the boys basketball team um in in year nine at school so I was constantly like just just doing it because I could like being a part and not letting the fact that there wasn't a girls team that I could stop me from doing my sport or there wasn't that access for me to do my sport I just thought well why not if because people always ask me why why do you do that and I'm like well why not (laughs) Yeah, great answer. So for you, you have these athletic achievements from age 15 to 17 in high school, game-winning goals. And for you, you can't even remember them. See, for me, I had like one good play and I can't stop talking about it still. <laughs> yeah. So so for you, right, you had all these different types of sports that you were playing and you're involved with. When did track and field start to... Uh, come to the forefront of your athletic experiences? So I think for me, track and field definitely came, definitely more prominent from 16, because that was a transitional year for me. So going from a 13, like 12, 13 year old, I used to, I started with high jump because although I'm sitting down, I'm like, like I said, I'm, I'm a bit of a giant. So I was always really tall. I broke all my school records in high jump with no training. Like I didn't train at all outside, even in school. I just turned up in PE we just rocked up jumped and I was just breaking records left right and center and then I went to the county so like the regional thing and then did well there and then went to like the English schools which is around the UK 
um, and just progressed from there. But I got a really bad injury. It was my first, I had a um, herniated disc by the time I was like within a year, year and a half from obviously not great technique, not great conditioning, but definitely, I guess, a, a, an ability to be able to put my body through kind of like quite a harsh, like harsh forces, but not have the capacity to manage that load. So I was taking my my severe exams, like we call them um, GCSEs, at year 11, about 16 years old, with like a cushion on my back, because I was just in agony. I had sciatica for about two, three years. Um, so because of that injury, the doctor said to me, you know, if you keep jumping, you're not going to be able to walk one day. Um, and so I had to stop jumping and I was sprinting at the time. And my high jump coach was really keen and constantly pushing to my dad and stuff. I was like, I think she's going to be a great sprinter. Your daughter's going to be a great sprinter. And at the time, my dad was like laughing at him saying this because he remembered me from football. And I was like the last person running back to the line every single time. Like <laughs> when it was break, he was like, get back. Like, why are you so long? But I was like, I'm a sprinter. Like I couldn't go on and on for like 90 minutes, it's not my thing, but I was I was turned off to play, but we didn't understand the transition. So at 16, my co- I started sprinting really well and then my coach got me to be a double sprint national champion. So um, I left the age group going into the junior age group, which is under 20s, as GB number one. And he actually gave me to um, another coach and said, I've kind of hit my journey now. I feel like you could be amazing but I don't know if I can take you there, which is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, because six years later, I was at my first Olympic Games at 22. And my coach, that the group that I got transitioned into, had already had, it was 2002, and they'd already gone to the Olympics in Sydney. And one of my teammates was fourth at the Olympics in Sydney in the 400. Um, I already had world indoor 800 medalists. Like I had a, an elite crew and I was just this 16 year old, like little thing, like what's going on here? This is crazy. Um, but they taught me how to be an athlete. And from 16 to 19, I was really trying to learn how to be an athlete. I was, I was injured the whole time. I had like inconsistent seasons. I wasn't really competing. I was mashed. I went from training ba- barely twice a week to training six days a week. It was just a lot to, to, to do in such a sport, short time. Um, so we, we fought for a long time. And then out of the junior age group was when I, from I think 19, 20 onwards was when I started going, okay, actually going to university is when I went to university, was when we really then made those, those real, I guess, those strong markers for what was going to come in the next few years. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you had some a great team of people around you, especially at an early age, some experienced athletes around you and some experienced coaches that were able to help you. So as you move forward with your career, you're now at the European athletic final and you break Kathy Cook's record, right? Which a record that was at least 25 years old with a time of 11.05 seconds, right? For the hundred meter. Tell us about that experience and the feeling knowing that you've now become the fastest British woman ever. Yeah. Just surreal. (laughs) Like, Um, I remember those words being said to me right after that run by my coach um, because he came up to me and he shook my hand and he said, I was sitting down after the race and he said, well done, Miss Douglas. He was like, you're the first British woman, um, you know, to run sub 11 because in the heat, I ran a windy sub 11, like a 1095, but it was 2.5 wind. Um, So it was just over the legal limit and it was kind of like, it was just a whirlwind because the lead up to that was pretty insane which is what what made sense about that event so in training my coach kept, was I didn't know this until actually even the other day because one of the coaches that I work with now said to me it was like your coach come up to me at the time and he used to come up to me and say 
Molly could break the bell, break struggle. She could run a sub 11 because she did this in training and it was like, we were working towards something and I was oblivious, to be honest, because I was just training. And we were we were getting closer and closer and we did it in training and he was like, he remember him saying to me, you can run 10-9 off of that. And I was like, really? I'm like, well, that's a little bit, that's madness in my head. But knowing that I could do it, wasn't it wasn't a plan. I wasn't thinking I'm going to go and do it because I was trying to make, trying to kind of make the Olympic team. So our qualifying is first two past the post um, and then you get the qualifying time. So I came first two, but I didn't have the qualifying time at the time. So I had to do like a race off, which we never do, but they were like, you basically got a race and who wins and gets time goes because for this three spots and that was the race. So the lead up towards that race, as much as I'm talking to you right now, like I didn't talk for about like a week. <laughs> right? Like if you speak to my mum, she said, I don't know what happened but you just stopped talking like for a week. And um, my body just went into the preservation. It went into battle mode where I was like, I wrote down everything. I wrote down what time, I, when I was gonna brush my teeth. I wrote down how I was gonna pack my bag, what I was gonna put in it, what I was gonna have for breakfast, what time I was gonna eat that breakfast. What time, and I wrote down everything just so I didn't have to think about anything else, but that performance. Cause I was like, you have to do the best performance of your life right now. Otherwise you're not going to Olympic Games, that's it. And I went into that event just going, just, I almost forgot, not forgot, purposely blanked everything out. And a coach asked me um, about three years ago, because he was just like, I wanted to ask you, how did you, what did you think about? And I was like, you're probably going to laugh. And it was just like, no, like share that. What did you think about what you do? And I said, do you know what? I just said to myself, stood on that start line. And I said, run to that line as fast as you can. <laughs> that was it. Like I literally just said it, but what was so prominent about that was because I was getting, um, I was having uh, psychology sessions, sports psychology sessions. And a lot of the help that I was getting was only about my university stuff because I graduated the day after breaking the British record. So I was in my final year of studies. So I was like, you're going to university, 10,000 word dissertation. I, it was a lot going on. It was a lot. I couldn't even go to we went to go to LA for weather training to go and train where you guys are, which is a lot warmer. And I had I turned it down. I couldn't go for four weeks because I just wouldn't be able to concentrate on both. But my I remember my psychologist saying to me, you know, I've never heard you say you wanna you wanna win. And I was just like, oh, I'm sure I must have said it like once. And she said to me, No, you've never said that. Like, and I was like, Oh, and she said, Do you want to win? And I was like, Well, yeah. But I knew inside of me that what my coach used to say to me, I was run to my company. So it didn't matter who was in the race. If I had a 12 second goal, I was running 11.99. If I have 11.0 press in the race, I'll run 10.99. Like whatever I need to do minimum, I'm going to do. But I was really afraid at that age of my potential. I was really afraid of my light. And it was really weird because I didn't ever push myself to the best because I was actually afraid that I would, would do something pretty good. <laughs> and the first time that I ever said, okay, just let it all out, I ended up breaking the British record. And I left the race thinking, that's why I didn't, that's all that time why I wasn't really trying because I was just afraid of what was going to come after that. And finishing the race and coming off of for the next round, I mean, he was like, you just got to do that again. And I, I felt to myself, I can absolutely go forward and move forward with this and, and be fine. Um, and it was just an insane place to be in. I didn't have a, I didn't realise where I was, what was going on. There, it was a super whirlwind. Um, and within a few, this was the 17th of, what, July, 15th, 16th of July. And we were at the games, on the, the game started on the 8th of August. So within three weeks, and I graduated from university 
there was just a lot that work that went on um but it was something that I never planned for but we were always working towards which is kind of a kind of a strange that like, concept to think about yeah absolutely it sounds like I'm just laughing because you said, okay, I don't even know what I was thinking or what I had to do. And I, you know, when I finally broke it, I was like, you had to get home because you had to go graduate the next day. <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, very impressive. So as a 16 year old, you're doing your first travel outside of dirty South London. And <laughs> now you are getting ready for the Olympics in August of 08. Tell us what that feeling was like walking into the stadium during the opening ceremonies. So, so we didn't actually go to an open ceremony, unfortunately, because we do track and track's always the first event and we're either not in the village or you're focusing on your event that's going to happen in like the next day. And if anyone knows or doesn't know about open ceremonies at the Olympic Games, they are long. They're the <laughs> longest three, four hours of your life that you will ever have. They're great. It's fantastic. But they're not ideal preparation if you've got to perform very soon after. Like, don't go. Just leave it. You'll do your performance, go to closing because it, it, it's, it's a tough run. So we weren't in the village yet, I think, because track started a few days later. We came in afterwards to go and do our event um, and never got that kind of open and sit um, situation. I mean, lucky for me, I went to the Winter Games in February and got to go to the opening ceremony in the same stadium as I did the Winter Summer. So I was like, it's like my first opening ceremony in the same venue, which was like, it's shot lightning doesn't start, strike twice. It did in my, in my world, which I'm so grateful for. But we didn't get to go. But I remember definitely walking into the stadium and my coach actually really prepared me so well for that because we had athletes that honestly just lost their mind. Like, if you walk out into the stadium now, the, the, the nest, which actually I have, this is the, the bird's nest, by the way, on my neck that I got from the Winter Games, my necklace. It's got a little diamond in it because it's very special to me, the bird's nest itself, the stadium. But it's a beautiful stadium. It looks like a mirage, but there was like 80,000, 90,000 people in that stadium. It was packed full, very noisy, very loud. And my coach had said to me, we'll go there the day before to prep to just kind of see the environment and feel it, which we did. So when I went out there for my event, the heat of the 100 meter women's um, Olympic games, it wasn't like the first time experiencing everything. And I remember I just looked down. I didn't actually look up. I put my bag down in the box and I put my stuff down, put my blocks down. And I didn't look up until I set myself up because as soon as you looked up, it was like a wave across your whole body, like, oh my gosh, like, wow. Cause it was, it was, there was so many people there and people went out there and walked out of stadium. And they honestly, they left themselves in the in the warm-up area because it is, it's an ex a really surreal feeling to have, to go out there and know that the camera's there in your face. You've got 90,000 people in the stadium, but you've got millions at home watching. You're wearing the, your, your country's vest. It's, it's very exposing and very vulnerable position, but you also have to prepare yourself to run, arguably the one of the best runs you've ever run in your life. Otherwise, you know, you're not gonna be able to perform how you want to perform. Um, and I was just enjoying every one of it, to be honest. I think definitely looking back as an athlete, because we always look about how we grow, I, I definitely would do things differently if I went back. But at the time, I understand the way that I approached, we, we approached, especially as a team, those Olympic games and um, because they were a bonus really for us I, I really wasn't planning on trying to go there at all like it wasn't in my remit because it seemed so far away I just made I was European under 23 silver medalist the year before 
and I qualified for the world champs in the senior team at 21 there and went to the, my first world champs. So because it was very fast, I wasn't trying to, you know, run sprint before I could walk. I was really trying to progress as well as like just as we go along. It just so happened that it just shut up and suddenly I'm at my games. And I was like, yeah, but I haven't finished, I've just finished uni and I haven't really set myself in life yet. I don't know what I want to do. And it's kind of like, well, you're here now, <laughs> go run. Um, so um, the, the approach towards it was was very different to was, for example, Beijing in the Winter Games, knowing that I was trying to achieve something or what I've, I've done as opposed to, I'm just happy, guys, to be here. If I'm on fairness, like this is a bonus for me. And I never imagined myself being an Olympian, even a sports person, let alone being at Olympic Games. But once you got there and you're getting ready to compete, one of the things you had mentioned earlier was being afraid of your potential. Right. That was one of the things that was on your mind as a young athlete competing when you got to the Olympic stage and it started to settle in and you're getting ready and preparing for, you know, your first performance and first competition. Was that something that you were still thinking about or had you moved past that? Yeah, I think I think I'd moved past it in the sense that, yes, you could probably do great things. And yes, you have the potential to wow sometimes in some things. There'll be things would be like, whoa, how did you do that? But in the same breath. I almost still had that, as people call it, imposter syndrome. Like I did have the, I am here at the games because it's a very different thing to happenstance, to be somewhere as opposed to work your path for years and grind. Because when you get there, you appreciate it more because you had a purpose. It was very intentional. Uh, my Olympic experience at that age wasn't intentional at all. We didn't, we weren't even at the beginning of the year looking at our goals. Olympic Games was was way down in mate like if we could wow priority but it wasn't a real realistic and I'm I definitely think one of my things and definitely as, as a person it definitely comes into being an athlete is that I definitely underplay in myself underplay myself so I know I can do I'm really competent like yeah I can do anything but I also underplay that actually wow I can actually can I actually do that so going there you said I remember being looking at, you know, the stars I've seen on TV and I've been running against them. And now actually I think I was like ranked top 10 in the world and number one European. I wasn't even, a, I'm not going in there thinking I am number one European and I can do this now. I was like, they're all, these people are just as good as me. And, and that was one of the things that you mentioned definitely was like a, a flaw in definitely approach. Because if you don't deserve to believe that your intention when you're there is very different than when you feel like, because even if you were delusional and you thought I, I should be here, you would still attack it differently than if you were could absolutely had capacity to do it and capability, but you didn't think you had. It's like whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And I definitely was going in there with, I'm going to enjoy this experience, but without going, I want to go in there and make a final. I want to go in there and my best. And also I was, I was shocked, to be honest. Like my body was very tired. The Olympic Games, like I said, was a bonus. So I just run my PB, but I was on this high for a while. So I had to come back down and I knew I really was going to give the performances that I could, but we worked round by round to say, what's the best that we can do and execute. And actually in terms of my shape and even in the training, in, in the village training, I was working with other coaches and stuff as well. And one of the coaches was saying to me, I was running with one of the girls and he was like, oh my gosh, the clock. He was just like, you, you do know that that's far. And I hadn't got a clue. I was like, he was like, what you're doing? He's like, you're not doing on the track right now. And I was like, I know, I know. Because he was shocked. Like what you're doing in training is insane. And and to them, he, he knows that's world-class. What I was doing in training was world-class. And I couldn't even really appreciate it because I didn't really know it was like, oh, that's me. Because I remember saying to my coach member, 
you're the first person to run sub 11, regardless of win. I was like, what, me? I am. And I said to him, you're joking. Surely someone else has done that before. I actually said it to him. And he was like, laughed at me and said, no, don't be silly. No one's done it before. And I couldn't believe that it happened to be me rather than it being like, yes, of course it's me. I'm, I'm the bit, I can do what I want. It was very much like, and I think my humility is something, because my mum said this my whole life. Like she said, if I was you, I'd be running the world. But she said, I'm so humble that I just kind of like, I do a bits and bits and then I kind of step back. And that's something that I definitely, as an athlete, going into those games, um, it definitely shone through in my attention. Yeah, absolutely appreciate the insight uh, for your experience. So you competed at the games and now you're on your flight home or you're going back to Great Britain. What was on your mind when you got back in the first week or so? And then in the weeks uh, after that, what was your competitive appetite like after the 08 Olympics? I think I was definitely like a kid in a sweet straw, like competing as much many places as you can afterwards. Obviously, extremely tired. There is something that is very real called the Olympic Blues. Everyone gets it. And if you've heard about this, it's a real thing. Like you're on the highest echelon of sporting performance arguably ever so everyone's trying to go there depending on what sport you are and then you've got to go back to real life and your real life is very different to that world it it's never comparable and, and it just isn't so you come back and of course I've I've finished as well my studies so now I'm not studying like I've got to go back into uni and stuff I'm not doing that oh first time I'm actually probably going to be I'm going to be a professional athlete because that's what I'm doing right now um it's completely different in terms of thinking where do I want to go and also knowing to myself that I'd already kind of probably hit my peak for the year and to, you're always just maintaining you're really struggling to maintain your body's in a different place you're very tired and you're overwhelmed is is, is the greatest word for I think that fits as best you it's very much an overwhelming experience because it's hard to appreciate it in the moment and be taken by everything and everyone you're experiencing. Like I love meeting all different athletes and different sports um, that were around. Whereas when you come back home, they're saying like, oh, okay, you're back in your room, like on your street, <laughs> in your house. And it was, it's very much like a, it's just like a crash landing back to earth, to be honest. And we were, I mean, I went to Miami for three weeks. So <laughs> that's how much of a break I needed. We just, we were going to go 10 days in Atlanta, 10 days Miami, 10 days Atlanta. And we got to the Atlanta piece and then my athlete friends that went to the games with us were in Atlanta and they said, it's cold over here. I wouldn't even bother come. So we just stayed in Miami for three weeks and enjoyed the sun before we went back home. So we got, we got really to decompress because you need that before you go back. Because the thing about obviously track and, and anything, most things are seasonal. So although you're going to switch off, you are going back into the grind very soon. You have four or six weeks off and those first two weeks, I just get in your body remembering that you're not going to have to do training anymore. It's a, you have to get, okay, can I breathe now? And before you know it, you're like, oh, coaches mess you. Training starts in like two. You're like, oh my gosh, I've just, I've not, I've just come up for the games. I need to prepare. It's a whirlwind. It really is. And I had a lot of media attention then. So I was still doing lots of media stuff and, and interviews and things like that after the games and that, that full up, just that, that rush of things. So didn't really have, I wasn't really in control of, a lot of my time I didn't have a lot of pausing where I would say stop breathe it was just one thing after another all the time and I really enjoyed that being away because that was the first time that I didn't do anything I did I just did fun I just had fun and was on the beach and eating crab and <laughs> like literally just just enjoying holiday 
because you know we sacrifice a lot of our time as well holidays when you're athlete you can't just go away in like April you do, it's a long year before you get to have any kind of breather so really took that on board moving forward after the games and go ahead Todd if you have a question oh I was going to ask so obviously it's really hard like you just said as a professional athlete to go from a game to have Olympic blues and then you find yourself where you just need to get away from everybody and as you said, when you got back home and you have a lot of media attention, how did you find solitude in those next couple of years, especially in an Olympic cycle? Like, cause the news probably was all over you all the time. Yeah. Did you have any strategies that you were able to kind of implement where you were able to just find peace? I think the honest answer is yes. And it was probably more about who I am rather than the support that I had, if I'm brutally honest, like I don't feel to be honest that I was managed the best. And that's something that I'm really, really honest about. And I say, because I think it's important for, especially young athletes now, or not anyone, I don't even like to always ping on young athletes and the athletes can be at any age and perform their best at any age. And they still need the support that they need regardless of age, but the vulnerability in the different people changes within the time you're going to need someone so you might need your agents need to be this kind of person at this point of your life and they might move into this kind of area of your life and I think just because I'm a very non-stressy person I'm very laid back I'm very easy like I'm very last minute.com like people will be stressing and worried about stuff and I'm just like meh it's fine it will just happen and I think it saved me being just that chilled relaxed person and not really over worrying about what's coming next, what's going on, what's doing all the time. Because had I not been that way, that just being that way helped me kind of, like you said, be centralised and just be at whole. So not worrying about the outside thing. Some more pressure to me wasn't even a thing because I just didn't allow it. It was, I just didn't have a thing where I thought, okay, but they're going to want that. I probably have it more about me now where I think, gosh, people need this, this, this for me, I'm pulled. But when I, when I was young then, I, I was really naive in the set that eyes are on you. You know, I, I remember one of the coaches, I think even the, I think even my Nike agent has said to me, he was like, yeah, he's one of our highest paid, whatever, whatever. He's just moaning about the, the money. And I was like, me? No, I didn't even, they're stressing about contract. I was like, ah, right, whatever. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I just was like, whatever. Where I just didn't take that stuff on board. I was, because I'm from humble beginnings and really humble beginnings. I think it just, I was still getting used to the world that I was trying to be pulled into because it just wasn't me. I wasn't someone that was going, yes, this is what I wanted. I just wanted a really simple life. But suddenly it said, when you're the British record holder, and it was like you said, it was 27 years, it was set five years before I actually was born. It, it just blew everyone's like People that you don't even know from back in the day and that performed, they were like, they remembered her doing it from back in the day. And it, it one of the, the longest standing records at the time that was just a shock. And actually at Olympic game year was just even more of a like, oh my gosh, what's going on? It then became a, like suddenly you're on the papers, the one to watch in, as they do like the top 10, you're on the one to watch thing. And I'm like, me, the one to watch. But when I look at it now and look back at it, I'm like, oh yeah, I was the one to watch. Cause even I would be watching me, do you know what I mean? But I wasn't even aware that I was even in that sphere amongst that company. And I think it's just because that's why I think was like I mentioned the humidity sometimes has been my one flaw something that's it can hold you back a bit to not be able to get certain things but it's also kept me really really grounded now a lot of athletes return home or return to training and all they can think about 
is getting back to Olympics or having another chance at competing at the highest level or winning a gold medal. And you did have a chance to do that, except it was 14 years later and it was in a bobsled. Yeah. So how did that happen? Yeah, that journey. What a toot. That is a... Yeah, so that's why I always had the doors open. You can see why I have that mindset, just because for me, it really was. And if I don't keep the door, if you don't keep doors open, you just don't know where you're going to end up. So I, um, it's happened to me, so I could, I'd be stupid to not have that kind of mindset. But um, that journey was insane. And to be honest, it was, it was one of those things where I think other people saw things in me again that I almost didn't see in myself. Um, especially at the time when I was still competing in track, I was running really well, was what I think, and I was running pretty decently still, but I wasn't making teams and I wasn't being selected for teams. And it got to a point where I was like, I know I'm getting older and I'm going to have to do something even better to be on the team because it's going to be like, we don't care about you. Um, and I was very aware of that. And we had, I had conversations with senior peak managers of the team and they were like, no, you wouldn't have to do that. But I knew realistically, because I'm, I'm very much a realist, about okay what does this look like for me I remember having a really just really good years of like I was in good shape I was enjoying my track I was running fast and I was I was I was there and thereabouts um considering I was like I was working at this point now um I had a couple of niggles and stuff but I didn't have the same setup that you would need all the time to perform at that level so I was still doing I knew I could still do something and I remember actually one of the coaches it was more just one of the coaches that I'd been with that used to be in athletics. And he had said to me, we don't want you join the, the bobsleigh team. And at first I was like, well, what's bobsleigh? Cause <laughs> that's not a thing. We didn't even know, I didn't know we had a team. Um, and I thought, oh, what is this okay? And I kind of seen some of the guys that had done it. And I thought, you know what? It got to the point where I'd had enough. And I thought, you know what? You, you usually like to try new things, just go and try. And my testing was actually at Lee Valley. We did, we pushed the roll bob, which is the uh, sled on wheels. We pushed that six. 60 meters they time you you run a 60 meter sprint flying 60 meter sprint they time you um and then we do the jumps and I remember running and then jump running sprinting um bob, bob, bob in, and then running a sub seven second like 690 something flying 60 and then them going well this is pretty good and I was like is it again me just novice it's weird how I, I coach now and know a lot about performance but I was really just like, is that good? Don't know this world. I did the jumps and he said to me, you know, I broke the testing record for bobsleigh in GB bobsleigh. And I went, he was like, you're nearly on a thousand points. And I was like, is that good? And he went, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, okay. And then within three months, yeah, I was basically about bobsleigh because looking at my transferable skills, it was great. But that journey into going back to Beijing as I coined my, my journey, it was um it was that it was a completely different intentional place and I used everything that I did from the summer games that I mentioned to you before that I wasn't intentional about that I performance I completely like 180 that and made sure that I put those things in place for this one because I knew it wasn't going to be easy to do that and to come back and have that kind of journey especially because I came to, I went to the Pyeongchang Olympic Games 2018 as a reserve um, having hamstring reconstruction like surgery six months prior um, that was me trying to still race so I raced the that year when I transitioned out was 2017 and I ran my first outdoor race and I ran 11 like a windy 11.3 opener 
and I was like I never open well guys like I'm the person that will run 12 seconds ask anyone I will run 12 seconds per 100 meters and I could break British record by the end of the year I'm not gonna lie so when I ran like 11.3 we were like oh my gosh I was like I'm gonna have a season here this is insane and training was going mad um and then I, I pulled my hamstring um pulled tore it off the bone was in surgery within like five six days and that was my obviously outdoor season done that was in May 2017 and um, after having my fastest opener like like ever that was my fastest opener ever that was even after and at this point you know I'm like 31 so I was like you can still do this like, I'm still in incredible shape I'm still super fast I was gonna I'm gonna probably have run a PB this year for sure because I could feel it my coach even said at the time you're gonna run a PB in the one or the two but definitely one of them <laughs> Um, and I was just flying and it just didn't happen. But Bobsay gave me the opportunity to, I guess, adapt and just like reinvent myself as an athlete. Um, and that's what I definitely used it for in the last four or five years of me doing it. It was a chance to be part back on, back on a team, but also to develop my skills as an athlete. And then now, obviously, as a coach. So in track and field, you had mentioned your thought process being run to the line as fast as you can. What was your thought process for bobsled? Like close your eyes and hold on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the same as you can tell, um, but it is that. Because um, you got to know, I think in, in high performance, you have to know when to do, what to do and when. So it's, an, it's for example, in the 100 meter sprint, I tell my athletes now, and I'm going, okay, you're doing this here, but you don't actually want to do that till here. You do these things, but not all at the same time, and you have to know when to do them to maximize your efficiency. You have to, like, you cannot be just pushing, pushing, pushing to the line. You're not going to be able to get acceleration and your max velocity is not going to work. And they're just looking at me like, huh? And I'm like, okay, we do this here and we do that there. And it's the same thing in bobsleigh and in, in when I did the hundred. So when I went to bobsleigh, there, you have to learn how to, when to be technical and then when to relax because you have to do certain things at certain times. And I definitely went in with the mindset of, I, I didn't even know what it was about. I was very, very like novice in the mindset of what it's about, but I was so on learning and perfecting my technique. And I used it, I just started going, wow, I wanna do this, look to the best people in the world, started looking at their techniques. I even changed actually my technique, which some of the coaches were a bit annoyed about because I just kept on going, you know, fighting, like trying to learn the way that we've been taught, with British bobsleigh been, been taught a certain way um but I constantly said so it didn't really suit me as a sprinter to get me Monty as the athlete that you want to perform on this sled you ha I have to do it differently because I'm I'm tall for example number one I'm not small stocky and powerful I've got real high frequency but I'm a puller upright runner so how do you maximize that so I changed it so I I actually think one of the was I one of the first one I can't remember if the guys one of the guys might come with this but we, we went from doing a double footed stance like this on the block for split stance like this. And the reason we're being is because I'm used to being in a split stance and actually it set my body in angles better than I would on a double. So most of the time the coaches would be like, no, two feet better than one, you've got to push off two, which is 100% correct. Yeah, you need to push off two, but I can push off two of a split stance because that way my hips in a different position, when I go to drive my first step, it's different position. I can get into my running and push the sled out in front of me better. It just changed everything for me. And I started figuring out how I could bring me to bobsleigh and also to the, and how bobsleigh could make me like a better, better athlete, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Really cool to find, you know, your own way, even within bobsleigh and the transition from track into that and figuring out what works best for you. And I like the insight that you mentioned about um, high performance and finding out, okay, when do we have to think about this? When does this have to happen? When do we have to relax and not think about anything? Uh, that's really great to hear. And I'm sure the athletes that you're working with now are trying to learn how to appreciate that <laughs> and learn from your experiences. And the Olympics is a lot about performance, right? Rightly so. As consumers, we're sitting at home and performance is what we're focused on, but there's relatively little talk about experience and the athlete experience during the downtime of the Olympics. So what is it like hanging out at Olympic Village? Uh, did you do any tourism when you were there? Did you go watch any other events? Is there anything else outside of your own performance about the experience that really stood out to you? Um. So what was the... Do you know what? It was more about the people. And because I'm such a people person, like I like meeting other people in different places, different sports, just getting insight into like, okay, what, what are elite athletes look like in basketball? Are they different to us? They're the same way? The, the mannerisms the same? Do they do the same things we, we do? And we're, when you're in one sport and very one track minded for a long time, you only know your world. Whereas when we go to, for example, the summer games, um, even meeting the athletes across the world from different events, I remember when the shot put was Koji like from Japan and speaking with him about performance, just speaking about being at the games and stuff. It's completely different, different way to the way that we are in, in Britain, for example, UK, track and field is a different beast as the US is, for example. So being at the summer games, definitely them, we didn't get to do hardly any sightseeing because it's so focused. You're, you're in and out basically like one week in your performance performance and then we do the relay. So we have to go, we're on the last day. So you can't do anything because you've got to compete again. And then you're on the closing ceremony and then you're on a plane the next day. And we did get to stay and go, go an extra day because they oversubscribed the flight or something. So they said, who wants to stay an extra day in Beijing? We were like, uh, yes, we went to the Great Wall of China at the time. Um, a group of us that just got left struggles behind, which was amazing because it was the only time and the only memory I have actually of going and doing something that wasn't competing at the games where other people don't get that because if they are competing to the end, you just go back home. Um, where I was going to Beijing in the winter games, I definitely was like, even though it was completely different climate, the pandemic, we were very much in bubbles. You couldn't leave outside the city. You couldn't get outside the village. You, you couldn't do anything. There was times within the village itself because it, obviously winter Olympic village is huge like there's different villages but there's different events that happen so going on the gondola for example up miles up this mountain never been on gondola before never seen mountains like that before go and experience downhill ski that go and experience like different the, the different events that we could I really we went and did that and I was like let's go and do much as we could because the good thing about going to the winter games was that we were first in last out so we were there for three weeks we were there from the day one opening ceremony, went to opening ceremony and we didn't compete until the last day. So we were just hanging out for three weeks, clawing, like, please hurry up. We just wanted, we just wanted to compete because we were just like, what do we do? But we used our time wisely by setting up plans for, um, especially the time zone. So we were competing at 10 o'clock at night. So we were started setting our time going, what we're going to do, but right? we're not going to get up to 1pm because we didn't want to do like a double double shift where you're up and then go back to sleep so we were having really late nights like 3 4 a.m going to bed so you could get up late like midday so breakfast was lunchtime for us and then would have the they would get dark like four or five anyway you'd have that moment in time you'd have training 
and actually in the in the village when when you look at stuff there's not a huge amount of downtime because you do you know you have work on the sled in bobsleigh as well you have sled work you go and watch i went to the track with my pilot a few times because i had never been they had a test event there before in october i hadn't been there because i was at home um that's an injury so I had seen the track, so I went down to the bobsleigh track when we have before we have training. We have training days, back to back training days, where we're there anyway on the track, learning the track because it's new. It's me learning when to how to push on this profile because the profiles are all different. Feel of the ice, when to jump in, what what's faster, when does the velocity pick up, what should we do? All that thing is very you need to really focus on it. They're long days, like three, four, or five hours at the track alone, and then you've got the whole everything outside of it. So really maximizing the time by prioritizing performance always you, and you have to because you always look back and go did I do everything that I could to perform my best tick yes rather than did I have a jolly up and have a great time but absolutely perform like a donkey no one wants that experience <laughs> you always want to go I did my best to perform my best but actually enjoyed my experience and have that those those both um sides to your story absolutely thank you for sharing that and uh, when we first followed up after the leaders in sport conference in London, where you spoke yeah. on stage, you told us that you love training on Kaiser, especially uh, when you first started with bobsleigh. If you don't mind sharing what you enjoyed about it and how it helped your physical preparation, we'd love to hear. Yeah, so I might, my, I was first introduced properly as in like an intentional part of the program, because we used to use it for testing in British bobsleigh. Um, one of our coaches was a huge fan of it, brought it into to our system. And I miss it now. I really do have access to it. Some of them always like, no, we need a Kaiser. I'm always looking around. Like, where, where is one? Because what I like, what I like most, I think, and I appreciate it more now that it's obviously not there that you think, gosh. So sometimes there's there's ways and ways about so you want to try and attack your performance. And to make it as specific as possible is always what you want to do because I think variety is great and I'm a huge fan of variety especially in my experience of, of, of um, performance athletics and just my athletic capability my body loves variety because it's done everything it could possibly do like I've been I've, I've been in the game for 20 years there's nothing new you can throw at me my body's like nah we've done that and it just adapts so quickly where it's just it's honestly pointless so I have to keep switching up and like surprising her with new stuff hence the hurdles um, to be like saha we haven't done this yet and then she's like oh hang on a second this part of my body's different so working with kaiser what i what i found was that just kind of making it more specific um to i guess it's the next level up like i always say there's levels to train in so you can for example do we can do like we used to use use the leg press specifically example the leg press machine which is the um, bilateral machine so being able to isolate single leg limbs and, and test them against each other and know is important, especially when you're pushing 170 kilos and you're pushing, even if you're two legs, you're landing on one um, immediately. So how you can generate force incomparable to literally what force is, so the, the, your strength over time, but how quickly you can generate that. And it's got to be still be high force, not just light, because for example, I'm implementing 100 meter sprint. So at 67.6 kilos, when I was at Olympic games, pulling myself down a track is very different than pushing 170 kilos down an ice track. There's so many variables there that you could just pick on straight away at environment, surface, and um, body positioning, all of those things. But one of the things is the push and the pulling. And we used to learn it, we used to use it for example, single leg, um, leg press test. It was like the fast 
and increase the, the speed and as fast you could push it and come back up and you'd be able to really draw on things that you could put into your training and understand why as well you looked or felt the way you did when you performed because it's really important obviously to go okay we've got these numbers but what you do with them is also is this important because they're saying well how do we train that well actually we get very specific and good at doing that and we saw the numbers change like you could actually pinpoint when you can do this that's when you're in the house um, and we used to use it so now I use it especially or my mindset is still on focus of being able to combine speed for sure with the training because that's sometimes the hardest element you can get strong but a lot of what we do doesn't happen at that step that time it's not at that slow pace but if you can do it slow you can do it fast but can you do it fast because the faster you go the harder it is to do it um so we were able to use the kind of special mission that we had, we had one based at the base at Bobsleigh to use it to really draw on individual like programs um, and then try and change our program using kind of those variables to see where do our strengths lie. And actually, does it is it relatable across the across the team? Because everyone's different. Like you said, I'm a completely different runner than you'd get someone who's like a five foot five, really powerhouse, um, stocky girl. My counterpart doesn't look like me. So how does that relate to what we're doing on the sled? Does it look different? How can we change and use Kaiser to implement those differences in our training and make it specific for both of us, which we were able to do. Um, so now I really, really, I, I really value it. I really, I get it. I understand it. And um, it definitely makes sense to me, which is also why I was really, guys I couldn't use it at this leader um, conference because I was like I really want to go on the Kaiser and it was like everyone was around it obviously everyone was around um covered in it which was great um but yeah it's been a real crucial element to a training definitely in the past and it was and I had a strong introduction to it being in bobsleigh more than anything I think um athletics here I would probably be the pioneer for going guys you need to use this this is how we can use it in athletics because I mention it a lot and people always go what and I'm like the machine there that we always use and like oh I'm like because it does all of this stuff look yeah well, that's great thank you for sharing that it sounds like you have a passion not just for the performance but the metrics that go yeah. into performance and you speak about it with excitement which is awesome yeah. to hear and, and, and a lot of passion it sounds like you really love learning about training and not just training itself uh, so thank you for that and I recall you said you're now training in North London at the Lee Valley Athletic Center. What's your current training like right now? So my current training is very free in the sense that I try and do what I can when I can. But also um, I'm really about 2023, I think, for me. And it feels like it's going that way. It's all about new, like the new stuff, because I'm all, I definitely think someone of reinvention and I think with the climate that we've been in for the last three years since 2020, you have to be able to adapt and reinvent yourself because it's just not the same anymore. A lot, a lot isn't the same and it has made impacts and we have to be conscious of how can we constantly evolve basically as, as individuals, but also performers. And also I can transfer, like I mentioned to you beforehand, I can transfer those skills from my training into my coaching, which I'm definitely seeing. So my training for me right now is, is, I'm, I'm no, like you said, I'm very aware of my body and what I'm capable of doing. Um, I've been training, like I said, for 20 years now. At that level, I'd arguably about at least 17 of those at high level. So my body's done a lot and done most of it. It doesn't necessarily need the same stuff that it needed when I was 22 going to Olympic Games at all, because it's done it 50,000 times. 
um, what it does like is, like I said, variation. It likes new stuff. It likes learning new skills and how to do it. Because I also get exposed with how my body can move and what's still actually not great. So what things kick my body off? Like, for example, doing the hurdles for the first time um, with, my, with my coach. I literally, I had a tempo session the next day, couldn't warm up. Like, I physically couldn't move. I was warming up. I was mashed. Like I was really broken and it was you wouldn't if you saw me doing it you'd think oh they're just doing a bit of a hurdle but my body was screaming oh my gosh we're weak here oh my gosh we're weak here that's what it was telling me the next day so I'm trying to look at ways where I can develop the the bits of me that haven't had the most attention things that and the little things but also I like looking at um nuanced things that aren't just like I'm I'm extremely powerful like powerful in terms of olympic lifts for example i, I bench and squat and i mean and clean the same like 105 kilo i could just throw up like it's like what's that 210 pounds something like i could figure out any day like that's the thing but if we do a little condition exercise um is my body gonna freak out and it's those things it's finding out what's important like why is it important for what we do and then learning that and so right now i'm on you know three days a week if i can even do that um but also just doing lots of little things. It's a bit like when you have a, a diet and you're like, well, three meals a day. Well, I'm like, well, you can have six meals a day and have little ones scattered throughout. I'm more on like the six meal a day plan of, of training where I'm doing lots of bits of other things because it's really helping keeping my body. Like if I'm getting sore still, like I'm like, oh, my neck, I know I've done something good and new because my body's not conditioned to it. Whereas I could go and literally lift a pb in my clean right now my body would probably not even flinch it would be like oh we've done this a thousand times so but i'm really enjoying my training i'm enjoying it because there's no pressure to actually train like sometimes i'll be getting lactic i'm not gonna lie and i thought you can stop now you don't actually have to go through the lactic there's no reason <laughs> there's no reward for doing this extra rep like there's nothing just stop and i'll just stop and go great i did five want to do six on fifties i had lactic for three of them and i went you've done five that's a good session you can leave and not feel the guilt as well for going oh I didn't do that it's like no you also don't need to do everything that you think you need to do you have to balance like what's working what's going on um so enjoying it doing things new constantly and actually having some compassion for myself to be like you are semi-retired <laughs> like there's nothing in the plan right now to go there's nothing to really aim for but in the back of my mind I still have like goals I want to achieve which is hugely important for anyone even if you're just trying to stay fit on a daily basis you have to have a goal yeah I have a question about your coaching so you've mentioned that a few times and you were a competitive yeah. athlete for 20 years how have you enjoyed switching over to the coaching side and mentoring young athletes like love it absolutely love it it is my calling in life for sure um I love it I think I wish I could do it every day all day because it's um, I've always been the, I guess, the coacher in the group because it was my last coach that said to me, Are you gonna be, no, my last two coaches that said to me, do you think you'll be a coach one day? And I was like, yeah, I hadn't really thought about purpose be doing it. And he was like, yeah, I think you will be. I think because I was always the athlete in the group. If like, you know, what I mean? if your plank is not quite planking, I'm like, get your bum up. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm like, squeeze your bum, get up, like make it do it properly. Because I'm all about, I'm a bit of perfectionist in the sense that I like the the, the how not just the what like yeah great we're planking but why are we doing it and why do we have to do it well because if you know how to do it well then you can repeat it 
I've been there before where I could just run fast and had no idea how to do it. I could just do it, but I had no idea about my drive phase. I know about my acceleration, my, my low hill recovery, nothing. I literally didn't have a clue. I just knew to do it, but it made it very difficult to repeat performance, which is why I now understand the importance of knowing the why, because I'm like, then you can draw at any time. You know what you're going for. So I, I love coaching and I love that I'm able to still train when I can and find things and go, they're definitely doing this. Um, but my coach, my athletes hate it because I'll do a demonstration and it makes them feel bad because they're just literally like, you know, it's so annoying. My athlete goes to me, I do a jump something. She goes, it's so annoying when she does that. <laughs> She's like, you do know that you're really ridiculously strong. <laughs> when I say to them okay trying this and they're like yeah but you're like literally you're like a beast we can't do that we can't do that and I'm like yeah but the plan is to get you there so let's go let's let's go but no I love it I love it and I've actually got like a coaching forum that I started in 2020 um I've got some national level coaches Olympic level coaches on the forum where we we meet weekly and stuff like that um and discuss topics so we're all growing still to, towards being you know I would love to be like churning out Olympians one day I'd love to be an elite performance high performance um but just just changing lives just giving people I want someone like me who never thought they could ever be there that didn't didn't realize they were good enough to be there but with my guidance I can help them realize their potential and hopefully one day they then fulfill the potential that they have as well and I would love to be and enjoy being a part of that journey that's awesome thank you and this is sort of in line with that exactly your ability to now have the chance to go be around young athletes and coach young athletes to kind of wrap things up. If you were to go back and tell young Monty a piece of advice, as you reflect, you had mentioned earlier that you would do some things maybe a little bit differently. When you think about that question, if I could go back and give myself one piece of advice, what, what would you say to her? Number one, I mean, without me swearing, <laughs> I would say, you're the shit, first of all, I would. I would tell her to back herself 100%. Um, and I actually had that on my screensaver um, going into the Olympic Games, uh, this, this February Olympic Games, because that's one thing that I struggled to do for life was to back myself. And that meant to embrace the journey, nurture the journey, like, like master your craft because you can do it and go for it. Um, but I would 100% first and foremost say back to yourself that failure is not like you said the end you, you only fail when you stop and I've you know it's been like you said 14 years in the game for me to get to a point where oh I've been able to achieve this thing but how do you then stop then you can't achieve it you know the quickest way to failure is to definitely not do it <laughs> rather than it's to try and then oh suddenly you failed but you can go again a lot of the time or you can go differently and like I did just completely change sport and then go right how do we make this still um fulfilling for myself um and I would definitely say to ensure that I would tell myself to set because I'm a real goal setter now like I'm really like a planner um and I think then I wasn't a stream planner I'd say what do you want your life to look like moving forward what it is that you do want to achieve um and go for that 100% because I think I was so comfortable with just doing, just being, that I, I wasn't really, I was, someone called me overachiever the other day. I felt slightly offended, but then I was like, oh, am I? It was just really, it was actually the leader sport conference. Um, I think I was multitasking. They were just like, she came in and said, everyone was just, when you left the room, everyone said, 
how much of an overachiever you are and it made them feel bad and I was just like that's a really strange thing because I would never say that about myself ever because to me I'm always doing the bare minimum so I have to have the compassion to my, with myself to say look you're doing a great job you just back yourself enjoy your journey but you know set big goals because those set those goals go for them absolutely go for them because you can achieve them the number one tip is like I said if you think you can or you think you can't you're right and for a long time I wasn't sure whether I could and even if I knew that I could I didn't have the confidence to go and do it not out of fear of failure but out of fear of success which is just as just as hard as the failure part of, of knowing that you could be great um so those are the things that I would definitely say to a younger a younger me would be like set ridiculous unimaginable goals back yourself and absolutely enjoy every step of the way absolutely that's incredible and and thank you and you surely have an inspiring story and i know i speak on behalf of todd and kaiser when i say we're incredibly grateful for the opportunity to sit down with you today and and hear your story and we're appreciative of your time and thank you very much Thank you so much, Gabe. I've loved yeah. it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. To stay up to date on all things Kaiser, follow us at Kaiser Fitness on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more content, you can visit our Kaiser Fitness YouTube page and at our website, www.kaiser.com. Thank you and have a great day.